Welcome to Solving for B, your podcast for all things branding and marketing. In this episode, the Brand Extract team explores the importance of brand trust in B2B companies. They break down key strategies and principles for how to build brand trust and discuss some real-life examples of how brand trust not only drives strong relationships, but positive long-term results as well. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this edition of Solving for B with Brand Extract. Welcome to another episode of Solving for B, the podcast where we explore the ins and outs of branding and marketing. I'm your host, Chris Wilkes, and today we're diving deep into the concept of brand trust. We'll discuss the importance of trust, examine the key elements and strategies that foster it, and share insights on how you can strengthen and maintain that trust. And to help me address the topic, I'm joined by Director of Brand Strategy, Charity and Disengay. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. CEO, Bo Bodie. Hey, Chris. And Chairman Jonathan Fisher. Hi, Chris. Thanks for joining us today, guys. So let's dive right in. Um, I recently read somewhere that brand trust is the confidence and assurance customers have in the reliability, integrity, and quality of a company and its products or services. Do you agree with that or would you amend that in any way? I would say I agree with that. I mean, really what they're looking for is consistency in delivery, right? So as you consistently deliver over time, then that brand trust grows. And I think yeah. then, then it comes down to perception and what's the perception built by, you know, when from a marketing standpoint, I'm told that this product is going to do something. I have a perception of what that something is. And then to Charity's point, over time, I am I experience it and it either does that or it does something different. If it does something different is a nice surprise and I like that, I may engage yeah. with that product more. Or if it does what I thought it was going to do, I may engage with that product more. And if it does even more, then I might buy more of it. I know we're getting a little esoteric here in the kind of talking about nothing, but I think at the end of the day, that like the trust is built in my own mind based on the delivery of the of, of it, based on my expectations from the start and then based yeah. on my expectations from my first or second experience. That brings me yeah. back to that quote we have in all of our assessments that talks about you can't manage a brand, you, brand, you manage perception because yep. really that is what we do. Yeah. Yeah. And to your point, Charity, the, and Bo, you touched on it a little bit as well. The brand exists in the mind of the customer, right? Like the brand means something different to each person. Now, you know, it, it's a, it is a challenge to, to manage those expectations for, for every single person and every touch point. But, you know, ultimately the, the, you don't own your brand, you manage it, right? Mm -hmm. um, it, that, that brand exists in the in the customer's mind in the you know in the the i guess the greater zeitgeist if you will and for some of these bigger brands but yeah it, it's it's tough to kind of wrap your head around so how do you build trust with your audience uh, i think charity you already you talked a little bit about consistent delivery um but what are some other things you know or, or if you want to dive a little deeper into that what are some other things to build other ways excuse me to build brand trust i i think you have to consider things like authenticity transparency, frequency, you know, those are some of the attributes and means by which you can build trust. Responsiveness, you could include in that, um, you know, honesty, of course, ethics and integrity are kind of a component within that process. 
So those are just you know some of the methodologies that you you have to consider and think about. And I'll pass it to Charity because I kind of jumped on top when she was about to talk. Oh no, you're right. I mean, I would say the exact same things. You know, the things that you promise out there in your communications and your marketing—that's what you need to deliver on. So you know, consistency in customer service and the way that you speak to them, opening, openly having a communication that's transparent and direct. Um, you know, showcasing. Uh, testimonials at other clients and showcase other clients that have worked with you and have had a good experience with you. That's another way of building trust. You know, the tried and tested conversations that you put out there and testimonials that you put out there too. Yeah, I think the brand elements, I mean, that's one of the challenges as I think people sometimes, there are two pieces to this. One is the association. Mm -hmm. What do I associate with this brand? Whether it's, yeah. you know, I associate integrity or I don't, you know, I associate action, or I don't, I associate, and then what is that by, right, you know, I, I, I am in a high-end shopping center, and I see a Yeti store, like, okay, I expect to pay more for that product because of where it's located, I mean, all of those collisions matter mm -hmm. into the general perception of the brand, and the promise you make, right, yeah, like, this is a $50 thermos, when you can get it for five somewhere else, is it really worth 50? Probably not, but it's definitely worth 20, but I'm willing to pay for the brand on top of it because of where I got it, the status it gives me, all those kinds of things on top of all the things that Jonathan and Charity talked about, the integrity yeah. of the product, all that kind of stuff. Then there's the thing that I think a lot of people miss, which is we make an assumption that integrity means X, you know, or quality means X. And it, in reality, I think the challenges for branding and marketing experts today is that even when we say quality, quality might mean something different to a lot of people. Quality might be safety to Jonathan. Quality might be uh, status price. to charity and quality might be price to me, right? Mm -hmm. And so being able to walk that and navigate that back to the trust piece, sometimes I think brands sometimes try and build trust a certain way they think that all their audience is going to take it. And in reality, they're building it the way they think the audience is going to take it. Right. I mean, they, they, mm -hmm. they don't build it to where the, where the client, they don't meet the client where they, they need the product. Right. Yeah. And I think that that's one of the challenges to this. So we can talk about all these different things that build trust, but at the end of the day, you got to understand what the customer wants, you know, what, the, what that customer that wants you that will pay that premium for get those hundred or a thousand customers that are loyal and then the others will follow, um, you know, or you'll price your product to the point where they won't. And those thousand customers will be your loyal customers forever. And you'll just make money in that realm. Um, so it's kind of an interesting, you know, the, where does the trust come from? And then what does trust mean? You know, because yeah. I, I can tell you, Jonathan and I are going to be really different on quality. You know, he's going to have a different opinion of what quality is than I'm going to have. Um, that doesn't mean that either of us are right or wrong. It's just, it'll lead us to a different brand because we perceive quality differently. So and both the brands, the brands need to manage those messages, right? It helps if you define what quality means, if you define what service means, if you define what responsiveness means or accessibility yeah. means, you know, the, these words by themselves to both point are rather generic, but we as marketers have to to communicate what these mm -hmm. what's behind these promises to the customers and then the hope customers will align or not align with it 
but then there's also segmentation. So, you know, there's different personas and, and you can do segmentation both in the products or the services and segmentation for the, for the, the customers as well. So, you know, it's slight variable differences you know, yeah, make yeah. A big, will align with certain audience slivers, if you will, slices, if you will, in terms of yeah. persona segmentations. I mean, one of the other ways that you can build trust is really around building thought leadership by sharing your expertise, particularly in B2B spaces as well. What is your opinion? And what are you saying about things that are relevant within that, that industry or space that you're in? Yeah. And I think Charity yeah. puts up a great point, the B2B to B2C. Sorry, Chris, you keep starting to ask questions that we keep jumping in. <laughs> yeah, uh, go ahead, go ahead. I, I think the, I, I think one of the challenges, it is harder to brand in the B2B space. It, it's technically easier because you have to reach less numbers of people, right? I mean, then everybody that wants to buy a Coke and everybody that wants to buy a Pepsi and that has reached everybody and then yeah. you know, mostly everybody, right? There's that, which is more like less complicated because it's less people I have to talk to. My universe is a little smaller, but it's harder to talk to them. Or the sea of sameness is even more so because everybody can say whatever they want to. And that that first use of the product um, is a real challenge. I think on the other side of it, on the B2B side, once once you say a promise and I deliver on it, I might engineer my whole product around your product, or I might engineer my whole plan to go do something, drill something, build something, make something around your product. And it's harder for me to switch as long as you're continuing to deliver on the promise you're making in the operational sense. And so B2B, the complexity of B2B, while it seems, would seem to be less because of the lack of volume is a lot higher because you really, really need to be on top of that. Um, because so much rides on that product, whereas yeah, the switching costs risk. are greater. Yeah, the switching it's costs are greater. Risk. Me switching from Pepsi to Coke to Pepsi to Coke doesn't cost anything, and Pepsi and Coke don't matter because they both the same margin. They care, but they don't, right? Me switching from <laughs> this this widget that goes into this machine to this widget that goes into this machine is is a big deal because I've engineered my product around it, um, and so those things are. There is a slice there that Charity brought up that's really important to understand the B2B versus B2C and then the commoditization, you know, versus semi-commoditized product. Go ahead, Chris. Sorry. And so you guys talking about, about you know, the B2B, B2C and then both of the context you framed it around, it, it, it kind of sparked a question in my head. Is brand trust scalable? And I'm kind of putting you guys in the spot here a little bit, but is it something that you can deliberately, um, I mean, with all these different factors that are out there that, that impact this, is this something that you can scale? And if so, or I mean, let me not lead the witness. Is it scalable? If you're meaning scalable but transferable, I would say yes. Um, and I say that because particularly looking at, and I'm, I'm going to go back to generational, millennials and Gen Zs, right? What they look for is what is everyone else saying about this product? Generally, by the time that they come to you to have a conversation about your product, uh, they've already done the research. And part of that research, as we've seen, Chris, in some of our more recent uh, conversations with some of our clients, is tends to be online and it tends to be customer research or customer feedback that's online, right? So they take transferred um, you know, trust from what mm-hmm. other people that have interacted with you 
and take it seriously and will determine whether they spend. And what we found was up to 500,000 online based on someone else's feedback. So in that yeah. sense, I'd say yes. John, what about it? Oh, no, no, go, go, Craig, Chris. <laughs> I was going to say, what about in the sense of replicable and, and something that you can not just transferable in the term, in the, in the way of, you know, like transferable from, from peer to peer, but also like mm -hmm. if we're looking at permeating an organization or growing that, because it, it, to me, it seems difficult when you have so many factors at play, especially in a B2B environment where we, like we talked about a second ago, is the brand lives in the mind of, of the, the, the consumer or your, your audience, right? And where in a B2B sense, or excuse me, in a B2B environment, you have to get approval through of, of so many other folks and they have so many different perspectives and so many other different needs from your, your business or your brand. Um, it, it's, it, it seems to me that it's a very difficult task to build to build brand trust that that can then you know be kind of replicable and and you can kind of build upon it. I mean, it, is that is there any trick to that? Is there any any advice you would give to someone who's, who's trying to like scale trust that they've built with a certain market into another market and and grow their market share, their brand trust market share, if you will. Well, look at, I mean, when you first threw out the the, the question, uh, two things popped in my mind. There's equity transfer. So like when you you transfer a brand, another, a brand is merged, absorbed, or changed its name, for example. There's sort of that, that scalability of trust, transference like that. But then there's just the measure within the trust itself. So let's just say if you had a scale for trust of zero to 10, somebody trusts you at a three, you can move them up to a seven, right? There's that scalability. And so thinking about the touch points where trust is formed through those experiences, the way you answer the phone, the way the product is shipped, the timeliness of the shipping, the packaging of the product, the quality of the software, the, you know, the ease of use and functionality, the UX designs, whatever it might be, you have all of these places you can build trust and replicate if you study those touch points and which touch points matter and which touch points don't matter in that process. So. That's one way I was interpreting your question. Yeah, yeah. So when when you say scalable, is that that's what we're talking about, right? Is a brand, you know, can right. it elevate? Can you? And I think the, another dimension of this is, you know, a challenge, right? Sometimes I would say maybe, right? It, if you've built your brand on price, you know, purely price, like price competitive. What 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 the insurance companies have done? I think we brought this example up before, but you know. I've got a price counter tool and lowest price guaranteed and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you can watch Walmart. We've talked about this before. You watch Walmart. They used to be lowest price guaranteed. Now there are lower prices guaranteed. Then there, you know, there, there's a change there because they, it's only a rush to the bottom, right? So when you start there, your ability to scale the perception of your quality of your brand up is really hard. It's always easier to pull someone down off a pedestal than it is to pick them up. We tell our kids that all the time. You know, it's the same thing with brands. You know, it's it is important. It's really hard to push that brand up in quality. You you saw that with J.C. Penney when they shift to J.C.P. and they hired the executive from Apple and he was going to kind of cool up the brand. And honestly, people just wanted to clip coupons and buy cheap clothes. I mean that that was J.C. Penney's that was J.C. Penney's audience. And when he high graded it. 
that's not scalable, right? I mean, like that diminishes their market so much so fast that it really has an impact on now I've, I've, I've confused one audience because I never thought of JCPenney this way and the cost to get them there is high. And I've ticked off one, another audience, my main audience, because like all of a sudden it's not what I expect. And so the, the scalability and the transferability of a brand, depending upon where it comes from, right? A high quality product like Apple can introduce a lower cost phone, but they have to be really careful not to go too low, right? Uh, to attract a bunch of customers that don't like them, you know, or tick off, cannibalize their product, you know, but it's easier to come from above at a high quality standpoint, you know, like some of our clients have done where they, they bought a lower, more commoditized product to put in their product portfolio. Well, the transfer of that high-end equity into that product to get it priced up is easier than coming from here and trying to get up there. Um, that that's a big piece. Feral, the drill bit company, Jonathan was kind of the best example as they were kind of known as the bottom of the industry. They just wanted to get from seven to four and, and they bought a, a diamond drill manufacturer in France. And that was a, an interesting kind of bottom up kind of deal. Cause they put that association on top of this and it took time, but that association was so much higher and they invested in their branding to, to go ahead and bring them up to third in the industry, right? Um, there are those kind of strategies you can employ, mm -hmm. but that's a big expensive strategy too, <laughs> like to go buy a whole nother product line that's way more expensive and valuable than yours um, to try and pull yourself up. So they're, they're just different ways to do it. They are scalable or transferable or whatever, but it, it's harder depending upon where you're coming from in some cases. Yeah. And I think it's it's important to have you know like because this is this was batting around in my mind is that it's important to have your north star right like it, having having your mission your vision your values particularly you know your values like who you are what's important to you how you're going to interact you know what what you're going to promise honestly what you what employees are going to 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 learn like these are our values these are how we live them out so. It, I think it probably makes it easier if we're talking about scaling and, and reaching different audiences. Like if there's a consistent going all the way back to what charity mentioned, like consistent delivery, if everybody within your organization is, is playing from the same playbook, yep. then it's a lot easier to potentially scale that trust as opposed to if it's the touch point, yeah. exactly yeah. the touch point Jonathan's talking about if on a phone call, someone's short and not very helpful, but in person, they're, great and very personable and in an email there's you know it, it there's just inconsistency then you're going to be swimming upstream to try to develop that trust it's great um both touched on on subject we do a lot of work in the MA space right yeah and so brands can merge and one brand can have an amazing reputation a reputation another brand can have a terrible reputation and by the same token the cultures can be completely different too yep. so when you're talking about scaling, scalability, a, a positive brand's reputation can pull up a negative brand, but a negative brand's reputation can pull down a positive brand's reputation Absolutely. too. And Bo kind of hinted at this with his description just now. And so when you talk about, are there tips or there advice you can give? Yeah, there's a, there's a whole lot of levers that can be pulled in that process. And depending upon how you pull those levers, it can go north or south on you all the time. And we've done tons yeah. of M&A work, tons of roll-up work, tons of spin-out work across hundreds of brands. 
And uh, there is a lot that can go right. And by the same token, there's a lot that can go wrong in that process. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to talk about the importance of brand trust, uh, particularly in B2B relationships. So how does brand trust influence customer loyalty, retention, referrals? I mean, what, what are kind of some of maybe the, the benefits, if you will, of, of earning that brand trust? From a jump in standpoint, um, <laughs> I, I think the whole intention of branding is to build a more valuable entity, you know, or a more valuable perception, you know, marketing drive leads, get opportunities, you know, sales, make them drink, advertising, get attention and awareness. You know, they're all components of brand building, you know, but from a pure kind of brand trust standpoint, you know, I think the, the key piece, especially in B2B is consistency. You know, there are things that, that make the promise that you can make, find the audience you need to find, and then be consistent in delivering. The, the key becomes, because of it, and I think we talked about it earlier, those B2B brands, you know, I have to drill this well, I have to make this product, I have to develop this catheter, I have to distribute these things, I have to provide this technology service, I have to develop the software, and then I'm going to use that. I, I, on the other hand, as the customer, I'm going to use that product to make my product, my company more efficient or more reliable or make my product better or sell more of that thing through my distribution channels. And how that brand delivers on the brand that's buying it mm -hmm. becomes imperative to the success of their company. Um, brand extract or, or my, my philosophy about branding came from switching printers again stories i tell too much now i'm getting old and i might tell them i've told them before you know i switched printers for some baseball tickets thinking well it's it's ink on paper and a big round thing flying through and well the pressmen didn't know me and they didn't understand what i liked and i didn't know what kind of donuts they liked and the the their their cost of making stuff and making changes was higher than my cost and they were predicated they they valued something different than my old printer and and so that project was less profitable because I switched horses because they look like the same product printing, but the way this company that I was working with behaved and the way this product and the way that this company that I worked with understood me and what I wanted really impacted the quality of the work that I could provide. And I think that's a big piece of the B2B brand that people don't think about is how important that product or service is because I made a decision to spend a million dollars on this valve and put it in 20 different things that I'm making. And if that valve doesn't perform, it affects my relationship with my other customer or my, with my, yeah. my customer. And so that's a big part of this B2B brand piece is that it, you're, you're almost reselling or there is a, it is a component of a bigger suite of things sometimes um, that, yeah. that can cause an equity and problems with trust across the spectrum of, yeah. of, a, of an industry or of your product. Go ahead, Charity, sorry. You know, the biggest thing really is around that risk, right? Because of the size of the prize in this case. So brand mm -hmm. trust is, it's everything. It can make a, make or break your partner or your client's work, really. If it's a risk, it's a risky, risky job. Ultimately, it'll lead to higher sales and revenue if you get it right. If you get it wrong, you can get it horribly wrong. And that could lead to the demise of an organization. So it's, it's just yeah. imperative to be sticky and to have that loyalty. 
Yep. Yeah. The Marty Newmeyer, you know, the, the purpose of branding is to make more people buy more stuff from you at higher prices for longer periods of time. You know, mm -hmm. that I, that's Nirvana, right? I value you so much. I value our relationship so much. I value your product so much that I, I will pay a premium yes. uh, over market. I will be loyal. I will tell all my friends. I will stick with you. I will mm -hmm. let you make mistakes and adjust to those mistakes. And then, then I become a loyal buyer to charity's point um, because that's the problem, right? There are less people for me to sell to. I can't just cast the net. And that's where B2B branding really kind of comes in. And that's something that Jonathan and I saw when we started the business 18 years ago, that's how important it was becoming to B2B beyond the B2C, normal B2C branding that was happening in the marketing, in the market then. So brands that have high, <clears throat> high loyalty also have the, the benefit of generally lower cost per reach. Their ability to acquire customers is lower uh, because of the referrals and the word of mouth and the brand presence that's out there. Their ability to penetrate a new market is lower. It's generally easier to enter new markets for them or to launch a new product, you know, because their customer base is willing to try a new product within their line that they have that's there. Um, so they're a lot of benefits their cart sizes are usually larger mm -hmm. not just their price points or their profit margins um you know so there are tons of reasons you want to focus on building the brand's trust yep. in this process and that's just a handful of them transferability of trust doesn't it <laughs> yeah yeah that that yeah. word of mouth that positive you know association uh, that makes People sense want, so People want to work for companies that have great brands, right? And so yeah. their cost of labor can be lower. The cost of, you know, yeah. hiring yeah. can be cheaper. You know, mm -hmm. um, they don't have to recruit as much as, as hard or offer as many premium salaries as maybe the competitor yeah. or lesser yeah. brands. So there's just a bunch of dimensions here. Yeah, that's a really good point. I didn't, I didn't even think about the, the the recruiting aspect, but that's a good point. So I have, I'm curious, does does your brand identity play a role in building trust? Is that is that a, is that something that's considering as you're developing an identity? Um, are there are there considerations? You know, and as it re, as it relates to brand trust, yes. I'm some if yeses. you see an oh yeah, I mean, if you see a, an Apple logo, do you have trust in the product? You know, you want to be recognizable, and it is a it's almost like a badge that telegraphs a lot. You know, just looking at a logo, you know exactly what you're walking into. Uh, generally, if it's a well-known logo, mm -hmm. it telegraphs a lot of things without even saying anything. So it's imperative, in my view. Well, yeah. not just studies of, of color affect the trust mm -hmm. and how literal or not literal the identity is. Uh, is has a has a have studies have proven that people are more likely to trust it cold turkey, not knowing mm -hmm. anything about it, if they can understand it versus not understanding it. Um, so there's some psychology behind the designs that are put out there that help build trust that have been studied and proven. Yeah. But I, I think, think it's it, the same thing. Go ahead, Sherry. Oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was saying, I think it's the same thing with, if you're going into an interview, don't wear a red tie. Uh, or if you're going into a power meeting, wear a red tie because it telegraphs something about you. If you've got to photograph food, don't make it on a blue plate because that telegraphs something that's gone off. All of that stuff matters. Yep. Yeah. And, and I think, but that's built over time. I think, you know, depending upon the, again, Peter Phillips, branding expert, a million years ago, you know, I was at a workshop in the 90s. Oh my God. 
um, and basically said two things build a brand money or time and it took time for that Starbucks mermaid to become something. It took time for that Apple logo to morph from Newton sitting under a tree to the multicolored apple to the single simple black, you know, or white apple, you know, like those things and those perceptions are kind of built in our heads over time to where when I walk, I see the Apple logo I expect something, or I see the Starbucks logo, I expect something, or I see the sports team, you know, team's logo, and I expect something, or I see the, you know, energy company's logo, and I expect something, you know, those can be also bad, you know, it, it, it those, those elements and those, that iconography over time take on things that I perceive in them, you know, and that mm-hmm. I've experienced in them, and to your point, Chris, you kind of open this in charity, you know, you can't control all of those. You can't control what the media says about that logo. Mm-hmm. And, and over time, you hear it enough to where it has, it has an effect on what you yeah. think about Twitter, you know, and when you see that little bird, what you think about the bird, right? And so um, it cuts both ways, but the iconography, the elements of the brand, the colors, the shapes, the fonts, the, the tone of it, that all has a big impact over time, especially in how yeah. you feel about something. I think if you go back to, it goes back to that conversation that we started off with around having to imbue meaning and defining what things mean. So three different companies can stand here and say, this is what quality means for each of them, but you imbue right. that meaning into that word. You do the same with logos. And over time, that one thing, say a market was to go dark and you couldn't talk about it, like when tobacco went dark, if you saw the Marlboro man, you knew exactly what that meant and what yeah. he stood for. Same thing happens with our, with any other logo. You imbue meaning into it over time as you communicate about the brand. At some point, you put up a logo, people know exactly what that means. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And for on the in the out on the on in in the outset when you're developing a when you're developing a, a brand identity or a, a logo, okay. is there? I'm curious if if there's any. I don't call it shortcuts, but are there any like? Um, um, you know, but I don't get too deep into like best practices on brand identity because we have a podcast on that. Yeah. But um, I'm just curious if there's, you know, in the absence of time, like Bo, you talked about, you keep time and money to build a brand. In the absence of time, um, is there something you can do that immediately that inspires trust in a, in a, in a um, an identity, or is that you know unattainable? I was just going to say, I think Jonathan started to talk about it earlier on when he started talking about colorways and things that can shortcut some of those things. But I would defer to Bo and Jonathan. I mean, this is your guys' forte from a design perspective. Simplicity. I mean, I think some brands, in terms of their identities, try to make them overly complex. They try to shove too many concepts into them. And I think that dilutes the process. Um, it's It's an area that we see, you know, that's out there. Another thing, maybe sometimes it's intentional, but a me too, a copycat being too close. Not only do you end up with a cease and desist, but you drive, you can drive consumers <laughs> to the other, to the other brand. Um, so, you know, be careful. Um, yeah. Clarity. I see people that have designed things that are just confusing. Like, you know, what is this exactly? You know, if you, there's the rule of UX, don't make me think, you know? Um, so there's, you know, overly complicated is not necessarily confusing. It just communicates more than it should. 
the confusing is not understanding it in the first place. Um, so uh, brevity, both in what you're communicating, but also in the naming systems. Uh, sometimes we see brands that have overly complex or long names, which can affect uh, memorability. Uh, marketplaces tend to shorten it anyway. Um, but you know, sometimes the CEO has to get every word in their title of the, of the brand name of the company because they're the something global logistics worldwide whatever provider like this, you know. Um, and you're like, really? Okay. Um, those are a few basics I think you want to watch okay. out for. Cool. So I want I do want to ask uh, getting toward the end here um, is brand trust always a good thing? Do you, I mean, do, do you guys have a have a thought on that? Is it always a good thing? And and what, let me let me maybe frame yeah. it a little bit. Yeah. Well, I, I think what's can that? Be used for evil? Is that what you're asking? It's going to be used well, so, for, for bad or evil. <laughs> from my perspective, if I think yeah. about this, brand trust as you build that, like that that comes with expectations, right? And Bo, you guys kind of yeah. talked about like the pitfalls of you got you know, up hey, to look, it, right? Yeah, you got you got to live up to it, or you know, maybe. Um, maybe philosophically, you know, the board wants to change something or they want to do something different. Yeah. And mm -hmm. now, now we're, now we're boxed in because, because we've built this brand trust that we don't want to betray. So yeah. that, I, I mean, I guess I'm, I'm guessing in a roundabout way asking like, are there any potential the pitfalls of brand trust? Pitfalls of brand yeah. trust. Right. Yeah. I could, go ahead, Jared. I mean, I don't think so. I mean, if you're talking about that specific example, I think brand trust is a good thing because it's shortcut, it shortcuts a lot of things. The way that I've always thought about brands and really good brands is that they need to be relevant. So being really integrated into the audience that you wanted to talk to and understanding what their context is. And that's what you that's what you dial up or down or dial into, right? Yeah. So that's the piece that you can change. Um, they need to be easy to access. Do I really understand what these guys are talking about? Can I get the brand really easily? Is it easy to understand? And then they need to be distinctive. So the distinctive part for me is the piece that, that drives the, the trust. Consistent use of logo, consistent service, consistent delivery. But then you can dial in and out on the relevance piece depending on the market that you decide to tap into. Yeah, but it's but easier I, to tap into that market if you have the trust. And I agree with that. The challenge then becomes, it, it, it depends, right? Like mm -hmm. if I need to shift my brand, if my brand has become irrelevant, and yeah. I have spent over 50 years building up my brand as a X, you know, Starbucks, I think Starbucks is probably the best example from mm -hmm. a, you know, Hey, Johnny sat there too long. We're going to call the police because Johnny's not buying anything and he's loitering, right? Starbucks made a promise to at least my generation and probably the millennial generation that it was a third place, right? There was home, there was work and there was Starbucks and I could go sit there. Well, at some point, and Starbucks never told us this, they never communicated it to the market. They didn't talk to anybody about it. Mm -hmm. Starbucks became McDonald's. Starbucks became the drive-through coffee, premium coffee, right? That the whole buy in special Arabica beans sustainably from, from, from Peruvian bean growers or whatever, and the whole super comfortable couches and my ability to slip to sit there and work all day and this other like smell stop and smell the coffee and all that kind of stuff that they built they wrote howard schultz wrote books on it they talked about it they they didn't run any advertising starbucks never has really advertised just a handful of times much like apple used to not advertise 
until they got in the music business. But the they the Starbucks hammered that home, and then to abruptly put shotgun buildings in, make sure all the 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 furniture is as uncomfortable as it possibly can be, so that you don't sit there very long, and in some cases not even have a lobby. Push it all yeah. the drive through and all the app. You know, Starbucks, I don't perceive Starbucks. I'd rather go to my local little coffee shop down the street than Starbucks anymore because it's not, I didn't, I don't like coffee. I didn't go there for that. I, you know, I can get a yeah. cheap drive through. I can get really good coffee. I mean, it, it, studies have been sh- have shown that McDonald's coffee tastes better than Starbucks to many coffee drinkers. And I can get I that for less expensive, right? And so I, there's that kind of thing that, that it can be a hindrance when the market changes or your business philosophy changes where you have to shift the mindset. And that's a hard thing and expensive thing to do. And I would argue that that's the relevance piece. They lost relevance, but all the distinctivity still stands. They still have the same logos. Yeah, it's the relevance piece. If you lose touch with your customer and your core customer, you don't bring them along the journey. That's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look at Bed Bath & Beyond, right? So they, Mm -hmm. to Charity's point, they didn't jump online when they should have. They were laggard in that, so they were not able to capitalize during COVID. But on top of that, they were really a destination for picking up all these brands. Well, then they tried to merchandise it and private label them, and they cut out a lot of the brands that were popular. Mm-hmm. And so you had this trifecta. There goes the brand association. Thing. Yeah. And then they go and file bankruptcy, right? So they were not staying relevant. They weren't de- delivering on that consistency. They were breaking their promises to those customer experiences, both offline and in-store. And now they're filing bankruptcy. And so, you know. Well, but is that, I think that becomes then like the blockbuster story, right? You kind of lose. I mean, Netflix has done an amazing job of over time shifting, right? I mean, I remember walking up to a Netflix kiosk and getting discs and how cool it was that I could could go to McDonald's and get a disc and then go to my Walgreens and drop it back off. And that was really cool. And somehow they moved that online. They stayed true to what they delivered, which was entertainment on my, at my fingertips or when I wanted a movie or when I wanted something. And they've turned into now a, you know, they, they've slowly morphed, you know, Mm -hmm. where Blockbuster didn't. And I think to your point, Jonathan, there are tactical things. Again, it's not just the logos and the icons and the, and the delivering on customer promises, those associations, you know, that, that Bed Bath & Beyond lost, and the kind of slowly moving a customer. I mean, Starbucks has done a, a good job of, I think everybody, like all of a sudden, it feels like all of a sudden they're just shotgun shacks with drive-throughs, but that that transitions happened over yeah. 15 years, right? And it they slowly moved us all onto the app and they slowly moved us all out of their living room and they slowly moved us all to drive-through, right? And then the market's gone to drive-through and market's gone to delivery and they've adapted to that really well. You know, those are things that those are things that sometimes brands don't build into their brand strategy is to when when the market shifts on us or when we see the market shifting, what is our strategy to make we, that change over time? Or they how to, do we remain relevant? Yeah. Or or do yeah. you blockbuster a bed bath and beyond and say, We don't agree. We're just gonna keep doing what we do. Well, that like there's a shelf life to that. And that yeah. shelf life's happening faster and faster, which is another yeah. interesting so, thing brands need to consider. Back to your comment about trust, Chris, is there, can it be a negative? I guess, you know, using these examples that Bose brought up, 
The negative can be that management doesn't change fast enough. They're not paying attention. I would argue that you know get Netflix and Blockbusters is a case of disruption more than anything else, whereas Bed Bath and Beyond is a case of complacency and yeah. and and self-inflicted wounds. You know, whereas market share between Amazon and Walmart is a case of complacency. You know, Walmart was the Amazon of the retail outlets of the world. They just wouldn't move online. They just were really incredibly slow to adopt because they got, they they just felt, in my opinion, uh, that they didn't have anything to worry about, you know? And they gave yeah. up and they conceded a lot of ground. Um, so sometimes it's disruption, sometimes it's complacency. Maybe that's driven by fear of change because they think the trust is too strong and they can't shift it and keep it relevant to charity's point. So maybe there's a case of where there's negative. You know, we do see executives that are afraid to make moves. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, I mean, when you look at brand service brands, it's almost easier to lose their trust. And a lot of service brands are built on trust because they're not delivering a widget, you know? Yeah. So if we go back to that conversation that we had a couple of days ago about Uber and how a social conversation about something that happened with one Uber driver resulted in a $50 million, $58 million loss over time because social media took over the conversation. And because it's a brand that's built on trust, I trust that I am safe and I can help people where I am in my ride. Um, that really affected that brand significantly, but it helped lift growth. Yep. <laughs> well, and I think, but I think that's a great point. Uh, that's a that's a great point, Charity. In that the the challenge I think that brands face today is is one commoditization. There's so many people doing the same things all the time that you can get lumped into. You may be doing it better, different, higher quality, better price, whatever. But it's really hard for the consumer to to decide. So then it turns into what they like or they don't like, and then they can they can default. Uh, really good brands that would fit them a lot quicker. I think the second thing is to your point about the internet and social media and, you know, a good brand can get destroyed over one or two bad experiences um, or bad decisions by the product much faster than it could 10 years ago, maybe even five years ago um, by a handful of negative ratings or a handful of one stars or a, one or two very loud people in within their core customer group being disenfranchised that that can spread like wildfire and it's really hard to to come back from it i would say 90 percent of the time it it flames out and it's okay but there is that 10 percent that really crushes brand equity and trust when it probably shouldn't have it was probably to charity's point one or two experiences and it just got out of hand um and, and then there's marketers yeah. that make bad decisions um, that can yeah. ruin years of trust, you know, with one bad campaign or one bad decision um, because they think they're moving a brand forward or they think they're being more progressive yeah. or they think they're trying a new audience and it's just not true to the overall brand. I mean, that kind of leads to another conversation about how you need to structure your organization in this mm -hmm. day and age yep. so that you are responsive and you can be responsive quickly. Right. Yeah. The operational yeah. component, the operational component of branding is, I think, more and more important 
every day. And we've always talked about it. It's always been a big deal. It's always been something we've talked to our executives about, not just delivering on their promises, but structuring your organization in a way that it can deliver on those promises more effectively. To Charity's point, your ability to respond, you, you react to bad medicine, you respond to good. You know, your ability, the ability for your organization to respond appropriately, quickly, you know, to negative sentiment um, can be a big thing if your brand has been trusted, if all the information and data online, if over a history of time, the brand has had a positive, you know, feeling or sentiment, um, then it's a matter of speed. How quickly do I address this? How honestly do I address it? Um, because if I don't, it has, things have a tendency to catch fire a lot faster and a lot quicker than they used to. And I think Charity's right. That is a big challenge for brands right now, especially big ones in that, or even small ones. One bad review to a small brand could be just crushing. Yeah. It, that sounds like a good podcast topic for a future date. So uh, I appreciate you guys doing my job for me. Uh, but but that's going to do it for today, guys. I, this is a really, really great conversation. I really appreciate your time and your insight. So uh, thanks a lot. And we'll catch you on the next one. Thank you, Chris. Chris. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it. Always fun. That's it for another edition of Solving for B. Did you enjoy the episode? Then check out more content on all things branding and marketing by visiting brandextract.com. Be sure to also follow us on our social channels like LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and even Instagram. Thanks for tuning in to Solving for B.